Hey, Rocketeers, this is episode one of season two of Space Train. So if you're just starting Space Train for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to season one first. And now for season two. Music thumped and colorful lasers danced through the enormous room. Flickering pinks, oranges, and blues flashed off the metal walls. Bright green beams of light streaked over the crowd of partiers, all of whom wore silver head capsules to conceal their identities. A black visor allowed them to see out and behold the spectacle around them, and a flexible silver jumpsuit made it easy to dance late into the night. Lasers swirled together to create images in the air. Neon running animals, faces, words. A green and pink laser clashed, sparking into a burst of fireworks right on cue with the music. People cheered and danced harder. An enormous fan that spanned the entire stadium ceiling turned, cooling the room and allowing the speakers that lined its blades to fill the space with a tornado of music. Only a few of the metalheads weren't dancing. One of them carefully pushed away to the front of the room and stopped in front of the DJ, who stood atop a pyramid of loudspeakers. He too wore a metal head capsule, but unlike the rest of the crowd, a yellow trench coat was draped over a silver jumpsuit. The metalhead stopped in front of the DJ and glanced at the guards along the walls. Lydia, what are you waiting for? came Dallas's voice in her headset. Not yet. Lydia focused on her short vision of the future and waited for her moment. Several seconds later, the DJ cranked the bass and the biggest firework yet exploded above them. Everyone, including the guards, looked up at it and cheered. Many of their visors synced to the music and dispensed laser lights that sent colorful beams through the room when the bass hit. With everyone distracted, Lydia stepped up to the DJ and held out her hand. Still spinning his glowing turntable, the DJ discreetly handed her a small chip card. Almost as soon as the exchange was made, the firework was gone, the metalhead partiers turned their attention back to the DJ, and Lydia disappeared back into the crowd. Got it, she said into her helmet's microphone. Wow, said Doug's voice. That was awesome. What, me or the firework? Lydia joked. Definitely the firework, Dallas jumped in. This place makes the 4th of July look lame. You were amazing, Doug's voice clarified. Well done. Why, thank you, Captain. Dudes. Dallas interrupted. If y'all don't line up with this lovebird garbage, I'm gonna peace out. Stop it, Dickles. Great. Did you sneak Blobby into your suit again? Doug's voice asked. I don't know what you're talking about, bro. I just got the giggles. They could easily hear Blobby's chirps through his microphone. Shh, quiet down, doodlet. I'll let you get some air in a minute. Lydia shook her head and handed the chip card to Doug, who was also disguised in a metal head capsule and party suit. 
Thanks, he said, turning and heading down a triangular hall that was full of disco lights. He checked the timer on his forearm. Just a few more minutes and Goro should be in position. He bumped into someone and dropped the card. Doug went to pick it up but was pulled to his feet. There you are. Doug stared up at the big burly man through his visor. The guy wasn't wearing a head capsule like everyone else. His purple buzzed hair with curving designs practically glowed under the dancing lights. He wore a copper breastplate and had two mean-looking metal gloves. He looked like a boxer. Do I know you? Doug asked, looking the man over. Not yet, the man said enthusiastically. He put his arm over Doug's shoulder. I'm the Rocket Man. I've been following your team's work. Rocket Man scanned the ceilings as if looking for something. Doug pulled himself out from under the man's buff arm, but the Rocket Man didn't seem to mind. He kept looking up and around the hall. Hello, everyone. Rocket Man here. He flexed up at no one. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah. Ugh. Doug raised an eyebrow behind his mask. Who was this guy talking to? I'm honored to be a part of it all, the rocket man shouted. Come on out. I know you're here somewhere. You can't hide from me. Doug went to pick up the card while the wacko was distracted. But just before he could grab it, a silver shoe stepped on it with a crunch. It was a guard. You have violated Recreational Ordinance 54 for failing to wear a helmet, the guard said. Come with me. <laughs> All right, clunker, the rocket man laughed. I'm coming. See you around, Doug. Doug watched, stunned, as two guards escorted the man down the hall. Doug, he said to himself. How did he... Doug, who's that? Lydia's voice said in his helmet. Doug shook his head. Nobody. He bent down and picked up the broken chip card. Dang it. Everything okay? Lydia asked. Everything's amazing, Doug quickly replied. Amazing? He repeated to himself. Letting out a long breath, he quickly studied the card's details. Then, checking to make sure no one was looking... He held the pieces out in the palm of his hand and closed his eyes. Doug imagined the pieces of the card floating off his hand and coming together. He imagined the materials fusing together and the tiny circuit board of the chip repairing itself. Opening his eyes, he found his hands turning around a cloud of broken pieces that were slowly coming together. After a few seconds, the chip was repaired, but it didn't quite look good as new. Tucking it into his pocket, he checked the timer on his arm and ran down the hall. When he came to the other end of the hall, he skidded to a stop. Three guards stood in front of a triangular door. Doug quickly ducked behind a fog machine tower. What the heck, Dallas? I thought you said it wasn't guarded. <laughs> Stop that. Stop it. Stop. Dude, it wasn't. Tell that to the three beefy metalheads standing in front of the door. Stop your complaining, Dougly Duckling. I got this. What? How? You can't get huge with all this loud music blaring. There's no way you're going to get calm enough to... Shh. 
Dallas strutted by in his suit and helmet and pressed a finger to Doug's mask where the mouth would have been. I got this, baby cakes. Let me show you how we did it back on the farm. Dallas, what are you... Dallas stopped in front of the guards, who scanned him up and down with their visors. Robert, get away from the ear, Dallas said. The guards looked at each other. Stop it. You know what I get about my ears. No, 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 don't. <laughs> Stop it. I can't. Enough, enough. Dallas's helmet jerked sideways as if he were trying to get water out of his ear. After a few shakes, he stood straight and grabbed hold of his waistline, as if he were holding onto a huge belt buckle. <clears throat> what is he doing? Doug said, watching him from his hiding place. Lydia snuck up and joined Doug. I don't know, but if I were seeing into the future right now, it wouldn't be pretty. They watched, dumbstruck, as Dallas proceeded to do a cowboy square dance to the bumping music. The guards didn't look impressed. Is this really happening? Doug said. Dallas? Lydia said into her mic. I know this is wishful thinking, but if you have any non-cowboy moves you can pull, now would be a good time. I'm not taking any requests, Lydia. Just give me bloody, I said, get out of my ear. Dallas suddenly jerked his head side to side, then leaned over and shook his head hard toward the ground. His moves miraculously synchronized to the music. The guards watched and started bobbing their heads. Lydia and Doug slowly looked at each other. What in the world? Pretty soon, Dallas's body was swaying, jerking and bouncing all over the place as he struggled to get Blobby out of his ear. In the process, he was practically breakdancing. The guards were stepping away from the door and following him on his rhythmic journey, trying to dance along. Once they were a ways down the hall, Doug and Lydia ran up to the door and Doug pressed the chip card up to the reader. The reader blinked red and did nothing. Doug's stomach squirmed. He tried again, and again the reader flashed red. Doug's heart was pounding. He must not have put the card together correctly. If Lydia could see through his mask, she'd see how horrified he looked. Here. Lydia took the card from him. I think you have it upside down. She turned it around and pressed it against the reader. Doug breathed a sigh of relief as the reader turned green and the triangle door slid aside with a hiss. Doug and Lydia stepped into a room that was shaped like a spacious pyramid. Tiny floating balls of light floated around them like colorful raindrops frozen in time. Doug ran his hand through them. They bounced off his gloved fingers and slowly glided through the room. It's beautiful, Lydia whispered, touching a droplet herself. Just as the door was closing, Dallas came stumbling in. The door sealed shut behind him. Did you just see that? He panted. Lydia rolled her eyes. Yeah, and I wish I hadn't. What'd you do with the guards? Doug asked. Lost him in the crowd. 
They really got into that last song, so we should have a couple of minutes before they come back. Doug checked the timer on his arm again. It's going to be close. He walked through the floating color drops up to a small pyramid-shaped computer perched on a stand. Then, after some nervous hesitation, he slid the chip card into it. To his relief, alien characters started scrolling down the computer's triangular screen. Man, I wish Leo were here, he whispered under his breath. He could hear the voices of the guards returning to their post outside the door. He looked back at his friends. He was sure they looked as nervous as him behind their masks. He turned back to the computer. Almost there, he mumbled, eyeing the download's progress on the screen. Lydia walked to the corner of the room and carefully pried open a vent. It's going to be a tad more snug than we thought, she whispered into her microphone. Her visor glanced up at Dallas, who was by far the biggest of the three of them. We'll be fine, Dallas said. Bobby, no. Not the nose. Doug and Lydia could hear Blobby's chirps through Dallas's microphone. You're gonna make me. Doug and Lydia were waving at him to stop, but it was too late. Dallas's sneeze made their earpieces ring. What was that? One of the guards said outside. It came from inside, said another. Lydia, Doug, and Dallas looked at each other in horror as the triangle door hissed open. Intruders! The guards yelled. All three of them ignited their curved laser daggers and held them up threateningly. A quiet beep interrupted the tense moment, and Doug discreetly pulled the chip card out of the computer behind his back. He slipped it into his pocket before holding his hands up. Find them and take them to the vacuum, one of the guards barked. Dallas, Doug said as the three men approached them. Now would be a great time to blow up. You think? Let's see you try to relax with the music pounding in your head. The three guards grabbed them roughly and started binding their hands with a shrinking black ring. All of a sudden, the music changed. The lights dimmed. The guards froze. High-top boots stepped through the doorway. Wearing his yellow trench coat, the DJ stopped just inside the room. Slowly, the man removed his head capsule and tossed it aside, revealing a dark face with sunglasses. His flat-top hair had lightning bolts buzzed into the sides. Mixon McGruff smiled at everyone in the room. Sounds like y'all need some bass. Hit it! Two boom speakers popped up on his shoulders and the DJ drew two sound blasters from his belt. Get down! Doug shouted, diving for cover. Lydia and Dallas did the same. Boom! Bang! Powerful sound waves blasted out of McGruff's speakers and sent the guards flying back into the wall. More guards poured into the room. McGruff turned and fired sound waves, crossing his arms and stepping rhythmically to his own beat. The kids watched in awe as McGruff stepped, slid side to side, ducked, and spun, all while beautiful sound fired over the room and sent guards flying. Is your ride ready? McGruff shouted over the music. Doug checked his timer. Should be. 
Then let's pop this top. He blasted apart their handcuffs and then tossed Dallas a small disc. Stick it in the ear, player. He pointed to the side of his head. Dallas did as he was told, pressing the disc up against the side of his head capsule. The capsule immediately received it and started spinning the disc. For Dallas, all of the blaring beats outside were muted, and calming classical music started playing in his helmet. <sighs> he sighed. That's more like it. He watched the chaotic scene play out in front of him to the sound of beautiful orchestral music. McGruff blasting his tunes, Doug fighting the guards with a curved laser dagger he'd scooped up, Lydia doing the same while shouting warnings to the other two every time she got a quick glimpse of a future attack. As Dallas's body relaxed, it started to swell. Limbs stretched, muscles bulged, bones thickened. Within seconds, Dallas had doubled in size. He popped his plum-sized knuckles. Watch your heads, he shouted. With a massive uppercut, Dallas smashed a hole in the ceiling. Oh! He shook the painful tingle out of his hand. Above them, waiting just outside, was the space train. It hovered over the hole like a giant silver serpent. Its patchwork of metal panels, windows, hover vents, and jet engines gleamed. The heat from the hover vents immediately filled the room. Almost as soon as the hole in the ceiling was created, a cable attached to three metal pads dropped down from the train into the room. Doug looked down at the pads. Step on it! He, Lydia, and Dallas all stepped onto the three pads, which immediately suctioned to the bottom of their shoes. Sensing the connection, the cable started coiling back up to the hovering train. McGruff, grab on, bro! Dallas shouted. McGruff turned and grabbed onto one of Dallas's huge arms. Then, the cable yanked them off their feet and pulled them up to the train. A door in the train's underbelly stood open, and as soon as everyone was pulled inside, it slid shut. Once the door was closed, the space train blew its horn and blasted off the disco planet towards space. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. It's time to be the hero. Season 2, Episode 1, Roll Call.
McGruff and the kids collapsed in the little white room. Anyone else face planted when the cable pulled? Dallas groaned. I got my elbow pretty good, Lydia said, rubbing her elbow. She pulled off her helmet, revealing a tangled mess of red hair. Doug threw off his helmet too. I can breathe. I'm pretty sure I did the splits on the way up. He bent over and hissed like he just stepped into boiling water. That was sick funky, McGruff laughed. Never a dull moment with y'all. Mm-mm. Dallas's body gradually shrunk back to its normal size as he pulled off his helmet. His long, wavy brown hair was wet with sweat and stuck to his face. Orange splatter marks dotted his forehead and cheeks. Blobby, the orange gelatinous creature, sprang up out of the helmet and chirped angrily at him. Oh yeah? How do you think I felt, huh? Dallas shot back. One second I'm dancing the honky-tonk, and the next it was like I dunked my head in snot. Welcome aboard, cadets, came a robotic voice over the intercom. I am setting the train to autopilot and will meet you in the planetarium to debrief. I'll keep my briefs on, thank you very much, Dallas joked. Can you bring some ice packs? Doug shouted at the speaker. And some wipes? Dallas added, touching the slime all over his face. Affirmative, the voice replied. Moments later, they walked into the planetarium car and took their seats. All of the chairs surrounded a podium where a round robot was waiting for them. He, like the space train, was made up of a patchwork of metal panels and circuits after blowing apart and being rebuilt by Doug. Doug looked at his round face and was grateful it remained mostly unscathed. The digital mouth display screen would sometimes wonk out and show a frown when the robot was trying to express a smile. And sometimes the long golden mustache would turn up in a smile when the robot was actually angry. Defects aside, Doug was just happy to have their robot conductor back. Hey, Goro, he said as he took a seat. Captain? Goro nodded to him. Lydia, Mr. McGruff, and Dallas. It appears you went against my advice and brought your slimy companion along after all. Good to see you too, Gorman, Dallas said, taking a seat. Lydia was looking up at the clear domed ceiling at the stars, planets, and nebula. It was a new feature of the planetarium car, one that hadn't existed before it had been rebuilt. Doug watched Lydia and wondered what she was thinking. He found himself doing that a lot lately. Ever since he confessed he had a crush on her, he felt like everything that came out of his mouth in front of her was awkward. Part of him wished that he could just take it back and keep his feelings a secret. But it's hard to hold in your feelings when you're in the heat of battle alongside the woman you love. Or the girl you kind of have a crush on. It didn't help that she hadn't said how she felt about him. Because of that, he found himself overanalyzing every little thing she said to him. You see something of interest, Lydia? Goro said, following her gaze to the ceiling. Why aren't the stars twinkling? She asked. Whenever we're back home on Earth, they always twinkle. Good question. Goro touched a screen on the podium and spread his fingers, making the domed window above zoom in on a star. Stars typically appear to twinkle 
or have a flicker in their light, because they are so far away that their narrow beam of light has to pass through several layers of Earth's atmosphere before reaching our eye. Our atmosphere is very turbulent and makes the star's light bend from side to side before it reaches us. It's almost like looking up at stars from the bottom of a pool. Up in space, we do not have an atmosphere to distort our view of the star's light, so it doesn't twinkle. You will notice that from Earth, planets do not appear to twinkle. That is because their light is much closer and more powerful and is not so easily distorted as the faint light from a distant star. Dallas was pretending to snore, and the blob with eyeballs sitting on his shoulder jiggled with laughter. Interesting, Lydia said thoughtfully. Yeah, super duper interesting, Doug said awkwardly. McGruff raised an eyebrow at him and motioned for him to simmer down. Doug shriveled into his seat. Now, Goro directed his attention to the group. I presume you have returned with the chip? Or is Mr. McGruff the only souvenir we have to claim for this trip? No offense. None taken, McGruff replied. We got it, Doug said, pulling the chip card from his pocket and walking up to hand it to Goro. Excellent, Goro said. He took it and tried to insert the card into the podium's computer. Uh, uh, you gotta... Doug tried to point out the card slot, but Goro was struggling with it. He kept pressing the card up against random parts of the podium and even pressed it against his face. Right here? No, it's right, uh, here, let me... Yep, that's slot right there. Perfect. Sorry about that, cadets. Goro apologized. My memory bank is still lagging. He inserted the chip and a projection beamed overhead. Goro's memory hadn't been the same ever since he was pieced back together after the train wreck. But he'd come a long way, and the kids were used to occasional hiccups like this. They'd spent a lot of time catching him up on everything that had happened during their previous adventures. Doug took his seat and looked up at the image that now filled the domed ceiling. He could see Lydia smiling at him from the corner of his eye. Above them, images upon images of kids from all over the universe scrolled by. Information in alien script accompanied each photo. Some of the kids were clearly from outer planets, with some species Doug had never seen. Others were humanoid and looked like someone he could have bumped into at recess and not known any better. Congratulations, cadets, Goro said. You have officially retrieved the role. What is this? McGruff asked, lowering his sunglasses to get a better look. Forgive me, Mr. McGruff, Goro said. We were not expecting to see you after the mission. So allow me to take a step back. First of all, thank you for your assistance. All we asked was for your help getting access to the database room, and you went above and beyond the call of duty. I'd say, McGruff huffed. I'll never get another DJing gig on Rave 7, and that's the best paying gig in the galaxy. They paid twice as much as the other party planets. What about my... Hover bike? Goro finished. I took the liberty of picking it up when I heard your sound blasters. It is waiting for you in the repair car, down the hall from the zoo car. If you wish to leave, I'll stay. At least to hear what I put my neck on the line for. Very well. The role, Mr. McGruff, 
is a vast database of the most gifted children throughout the universe. You mean gifted like these youngsters? McGruff nodded to the cadets. Not necessarily. Some of them, yes, possess special abilities, but most are extraordinary for other reasons. Some are incredibly honest compared to the rest of their dishonest species. Others have a deep care for their fellow man despite growing up on a barbaric planet. Some have exceptional intelligence or leadership abilities. And some, like our cadets here, possess physical gifts that transcend understanding. What are you going to do with them? We plan to rescue them from their current state. Most of these youth are not in a position to escape their unfit worlds, and it is up to us to rescue them. We will bring them to our soon-to-open Academy of Wanderers, where we will educate them, train them, and send them back out into the universe as ambassadors of good, so that they can spread hope wherever they land. Bringing them together also creates a vast and incredibly diverse network of future leaders. It takes the empathetic mind of a strong child to change the future for good. That, Mr. McGruff, is our mission. There was a long pause before McGruff blurted, Dang, but I thought DJing was a noble profession. <laughs> Glad I could help. What were the metalheads on Rave 7 doing with this information? Doug asked. Why did they have it locked up in a vault? It is difficult to say for sure, Goro said. But from what I could gather in my research download, the leaders of Rave 7 pride themselves on black market data mining. They hack systems all over the galaxy and sell the information to the highest bidder. A list of beings with extraordinary talents would be extremely valuable for anyone looking to use the kids for their own gain. That's horrible, Lydia said. It is. You all should have a very clear understanding of this, considering the Doctor only recently tried to force you to work for him and his failed Academy of Exiles. Those with little talent or brain power usually seek to enslave the talent of others. Hopefully we are the only ones to see this list, and no copies have been made. If that is not the case, well, we may be in a race to retrieve them. Where do we start? Doug said, looking at the endless list of faces. I will do a full scrub of the list and prioritize. I should have our first target by the end of the day. We will rest for a couple of days before setting out on our first rescue mission. Goro looked at them and his mustache frowned. Excellent work, cadets. You should be proud of what you have achieved. Goro looked down at his uncooperating mustache and with a growl of frustration forced it to turn up into a smile. Thank you. While McGruff helped himself to the gym car, Doug, Lydia, and Dallas headed to the Cosmic Cafe. The cafeteria car was full of delicious smells as robot chefs worked tirelessly behind the counters. Ever since they'd been rebuilt, they'd seldom gotten an order right, but the food was improving. Doug was no longer getting scoops of meatloaf in a cone when he asked for ice cream. They sat down at the diner-style booth and punched their order into a menu screen next to them. Did any of you guys see that guy without the mask at the party? Doug asked the group. The one with purple buzzed hair with all the weird designs in it? Big buff guy? So that's who we heard you talking to, 
Lydia said, thanking the robot chef for the bowl of soup that was set in front of her. What did he want? I don't know. He was talking nonsense. He pretended we were on a show or something. Called himself the Rocket Man? Dude, Dallas jumped in. That place was full of wackadoodles. I'm pretty sure I heard one of the guards refer to himself as the Gorgatron. <laughs> okay. Which actually, now that I think about it, is an awesome name. A goofy-looking chef bot with one wheel instead of feet zipped over and set a burger down in front of him. Dallas held it up and groaned. Chef Boyardee, come here. Come here, come here, come here. See that? I've seen buttons bigger than this meat patty, bro. I literally had to dig through this enormous bun just to find it. Make another one with more meat, please. Right away, sir, the robot chirped before zipping back to the kitchen. Lydia smacked his arm. Don't be rude. What? I said please. They've screwed up my last 20 burger orders. You'd think they'd figure it out by now. Doug graciously accepted his slice of pizza from a quiet female chef bot. There was something about that guy, I'm telling you. It was like I had something he was looking for. I'm sure it was nothing, Lydia said, sipping her soup quietly. Doug could tell there was something on Lydia's mind. He wanted to ask her about it, but didn't want to sound nosy. Luckily, Dallas had sensed it too and had no problem asking. What's up with you? Lydia set down her spoon. What are you talking about? Oh, please. You've been acting all weird and quiet lately. Is it because Loverboy over here confesses undying love for you? Dude! Doug snapped at him. Just saying. Even though Doug hated hearing it out loud, that was the exact reason he thought that maybe Lydia had been extra quiet lately. Lydia briefly glanced at Doug and chuckled. It has nothing to do with that. I had another vision. Dallas looked at her seriously. Please tell me it's of the chef bots figuring out how to make a burger. Doug kicked him under the table. It was a big one with lots of strong images, Lydia went on. A deep one. I can never tell how far off the events are, but they feel like they're going to happen soon. Doug looked at her concerned. What'd you see? There were screens. Lots and lots of screens. Full of strange scenes of kids doing heroic things. There were battles and crystals and moving pricks of light. The details were hazy, but I could tell there were kids. Then I saw some kids bunched up in a dark room. A quick but detailed flash of a dark red planet and then big fiery booster engines. Easy, Dallas said, feeding Blobby a piece of chocolate. We heroically save a bunch of kids who are trapped on a red planet in a dark room, then we blast off the planet and they make a TV show about us. The one-wheeled chef bot rolled over and nervously set a new burger in front of him. Dallas opened the bun and all that was inside was a huge glob of ketchup. Are you serious? He looked up at the chef bot. Did the bun eat the patty? Look at all this ketchup. It looks like a crime scene. I will try again, sir, the chef bot said, lowering his head. Blobby spit out his chocolate and chirped angrily. <laughs> and bring us chocolate without nuts, Dallas added. 
Please, Lydia reminded Dallas of his manners. Please, Dallas added in a calmer tone. Just order something else, Doug told him. The pizza's not bad. If I'm going to zip around space in a flying train, risking it all, the least they can do is provide a decent burger. Doug turned his attention back to Lydia. Thanks for telling us. Now we can be on the lookout for any signs of those events. Last time you had a vision like that, it meant big things. I know, Lydia said. I didn't want to freak you guys out. It's important that we know, Doug assured her. A chef bot brought their hover shakes over and set them to hover in front of them. Doug tapped his tall glass of strawberry shake and it glided over until the straw was in his mouth. Lydia giggled and did the same with her chocolate shake. Blobby eyed the chocolate and seemed to lick his jelly face. How are the last corridors coming along? Lydia asked. Eh, they're getting there, Doug said. The Academy's blueprints are super old. Some of the pages are smudged or torn. They're really hard to read. I'm having to improvise a lot of stuff. I'm sure it's going to be great. I can't wait to see it. She smiled and took another sip. Dallas rolled his eyes and silently gagged. Then he caught sight of the chef bot hesitantly rolling over with half a bun wrapped in lettuce. No, 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 no. Here, here, hand me that apron. Let me show you how to make a burger. Tug and Lydia shook their heads and laughed as Dallas put on an apron and hopped over the counter to the grill. Smoke from the grill billowed out of the roof vents into space as the space train slithered through an asteroid field. An hour later, the train slowed and a small gray asteroid came into view. Doug, Lydia, and Dallas all pressed their faces against the cosmic cafe window and watched the rocky terrain gain detail. As they descended, Lydia gasped. Doug, it looks amazing! The compliment made Doug's heart skip a beat. He couldn't wait to hear what she thought of the inside. It's all right, Dallas joked, wearing a chef-bought apron and enjoying a normal burger. Goro's voice sounded through the intercom. Approaching the Academy of Wonders. The space train curved around a giant tower as it began its descent. All around them, the Academy of Wanderers filled their windows. Carved out of the asteroid, the enormous complex was complete with stone turrets, a clock tower, battlements, and a drawbridge. Metal slinky-like tubes curved in and out of the massive structure like silver worms eating away at a giant sandcastle. A red sun in the background gleamed through the tall windows. Purple crystals stuck out of the asteroid's surface, and they too reflected the red sun's light. It was beautiful. Standing next to one of the crystals, just in front of the drawbridge, was a kid in a spacesuit. A metal suitcase stood by his feet. The kid waved at them as the train landed. Doug could make out the skinny boy's blonde curly hair through his spacesuit's head bubble. Is that? He squinted out the window. Leo! They all shouted. Leo raised his hand to his forehead and with a smile, silently saluted.
Hey, Rocketeers, I hope you guys all enjoyed that first episode of Season 2 of Space Train. Man, I can't believe how many requests I've had for Season 2 of Space Train. I feel like... 90% of the reviews I read mention something about Space Train. And honestly, when I first made Space Train, I didn't think it was going to be as popular as it was. So back by popular demand, I guess. And I'm excited it's back, Rocketeers. Space Train's really fun. I think we're going to have a pretty exciting adventure this time around. So stay tuned for the next episode. We had some great reviews on Apple Podcasts. This one is from Shadow the Wee, and it says, Loving your podcasts. Love your podcasts. Please don't stop. I also love What If World. I love Mr. Eric's podcast as well. Did I spell his name right? You did, Shadow Wee 3. You did. And Eric's podcast is great. He's awesome. And you mentioned your top three series, Camp Dino, Digger, and Grandpa's Globe. And it says, please keep up with the podcast. Love your show. Awesome. Thank you for that feedback. This next one's from Spotty Goat K. And it says, The Adventures of Pockets. Hi, I love it. Petey's daughter should be awesome. And Pockets should meet a cat who plays an important role in the story. Oh, that's kind of cool. You're a big cat fan, obviously. And I'm glad you're enjoying Pockets. I'm really excited about Pockets as well. And speaking of cats, our cat had six kittens. I might have already mentioned this at the end of one of the episodes. And we're going to need to get rid of them, guys. We can't keep that many cats around here. So anyway, anybody in Utah that needs a cat... A bunch of black cats come my way. I'm giving them out for free. Kitties. It's kitty town over here. Next review. This one says, loving it. More space train. I love this podcast so much, but could you do a love story? More space train, please. I cried when it ended. Space train is my favorite. This podcast is my go-to. I told a friend about it and she loves it. She's obsessed with Camp Dino. She asked for a dragon story. Hmm. That's from Sophia in Indiana. A dragon story, huh? That sounds interesting. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Sophia, of Space Train. I hope you're excited that it's back. Boom, baby. This next one's from My Cat Rules. This is like a cat review day, you guys. My Cat Rules. It says, this is my favorite podcast. I listen to it all day and all night, so it's a really big deal. Sweet. That is great. I love that you can listen to it a lot. But I will say, Rocketeers, I don't want you staying up too late listening to the show, okay? We got to make sure we get lots of rest because Rocketeers that don't get enough sleep, your brain's turned to mush and you're going to be cranky the next day. Get to bed at a good time. Don't fight your parents. If they tell you to turn it off, turn it off when it's time to go to bed. All right? I know I'm a stickler when it comes to bedtime. Even for myself, because if I don't get enough sleep, ask anybody in my family. I'm not fun to be around. And I'm sure you're not either. So make sure you get into bed, everybody, at a good time. But I love that you're able to listen to it anytime during the day. It's amazing. Rocketeers, thank you so much for your support. Check out patreon.com slash Purple Rocket Podcast. If you're looking for a way to support the show, you can get ad-free episodes, uh, some special stories, and discounts on merchandise. I want to thank my mom, Roxanne Webb, and Jeremy from HarmoniousIdeas.com for helping edit this story. And thank you so much, as always, Rocketeers, for your continued support. Till next time, this is your host, Greg Webb.